Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family Radio as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. And today we start Luke chapter 24. Just in my estimation, one of the best chapters in the Gospel of Luke and one of my favorite chapters of the entire New Testament. And Luke 24 talks about the walk to Emmaus. And I'm subtitling this just for parents, showing the key to transforming clueless disciples. And we'll talk about the clueless disciples towards the end of our broadcast today. But Luke 24 talks about these two disciples taking this unforgettable journey on their way to Emmaus, about a seven-mile journey. And in the process, Jesus opens the scriptures to these two disciples. Now, bringing this to today, you'd say like, okay, I know about that. I've, I've heard that scripture. Uh, what does this have to do with the challenge parents face today? Well, in the 21st century, the main challenge to parents and parishes isn't necessarily raising children, even though you may have young children, and you think, what could be more difficult than this? But it's raising those young children to be faithful disciples of Jesus throughout their teen years, particularly their latter teen years, and especially throughout their young adult years. We're facing about a two-thirds washout rate. In other words, young people who have been brought up in Catholic schools, and this goes for Protestants as well. There's just, because of our culture, there's a massive dropout rate, and something major needs to change in the way we are doing things, or else we're going to continue to have that two-thirds dropout rate. And believe me, mom and dad, you're listening to this broadcast, this is not a time to fall asleep. You think, well, everything's going well in our family. You know, our kids are in a good Catholic school. We're praying together as a family and this and that. But things could really change as your kids get older. And what can you do now, based on what we're going to learn in this vital chapter of the Gospel of Luke, that can help prepare our children and our teenagers to be continuous in their faithful adherence to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, there's several things that can be done. In fact, I'm writing a book on these things that need to be done. Hopefully, it'll be out this year, and there may be up to a dozen things that could be done. But I'm going to just try to zero in on the bullseye. In a nutshell, here is what needs to change to prevent the two-thirds dropout rate. We need to switch from conveying an abstract religious knowledge type of catechesis to a heartfelt encounter with the person of Jesus, okay? Abstract religious knowledge to a heartfelt encounter with Jesus. Now, if you're an American and 
you speak English as your first language, and you read the Bible in that, and you hear the Bible read in English. And if you haven't heard me previous uh, in previous broadcasts mention this, we need to talk about what the Bible means when it talks about heart. Because when you hear me say what our young people need is a heartfelt encounter with Christ, they're thinking, oh, Steve means we need to get a little bit more of emotional uh, juice, so to speak, energizing our young people to get them all jazzed up. A lot of young people think that's what they need. A lot of youth pastors think that's what young people need. But in the New Testament, the heart doesn't have really anything to do with the emotions. If you want a part of the human anatomy that the New Testament uses for the emotions, it's the gut or the bowels, okay? That's what the New Testament refers to, the emotional makeup. And that's part of us, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the heart. The heart, which is the missing ingredient in catechesis, refers to the very center of the will, the center of understanding. And a lot of people don't realize that the heart is essential for knowing God, not knowing about God, not knowing abstract religious knowledge of God. But when the Bible talks about to know God, it means something deep and profound that touches the core of a person. And why do we have washout? It's because we have superficial faith that's mental only. And don't get me wrong, we certainly use our minds to love God, but it needs to penetrate deeper. Listen to St. Paul when he talks about what I call heart epistemology, epistemology, a 25-cent word, which basically refers to the study of how do we know what we know, the true knowledge, heart knowledge, along with the mind, is necessary to know God. St. Paul, chapter 1, starting verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's not your emotions. That's the center of you. And in today's world, our culture provides a provides a thousand ways to pull somebody away from a true discipleship, a faithful adherence to Jesus Christ, particularly to youth and young adults. So in order for a person to withstand the cultural assault today, they need to have the faith penetrate to the core of their being. And that's when St. Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, this is what he is talking about. Pope Benedict XVI clearly can't be accused of being non-intellectual or emotionally driven spiritual teacher. He said this, quote, the organ for seeing God is the heart. The intellect alone is not enough. That's from Pope Benedict's uh, volume, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, 
one of the ways you can tell is how, how is my child being formed? And when you think of it, I mean, Jesus obviously went about forming his disciples in the true knowledge of God. How much time over that three-year period did they spend in a classroom? Now, there's nothing wrong with a classroom. There's nothing wrong with teaching. In fact, I regard myself as a teacher. But there is a depth of knowledge to knowing God that the normal just conveying things that what we think of in a classroom may not be it. I mean, one of the hardest things to grasp for the disciples was that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And after he did, they still didn't recognize him. So what did he do? Had to have a fishing experience, and they sat down and ate fish around a charcoal fire. And they had a heart-to-heart conversation. And he revealed further the knowledge of him. Now, how are we going to encourage in today's world a personal encounter with the living God. Because unless an adult or a young person has this, the probability of washout is sky high. With this is a primary way in order to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. So how do we encourage our children and those in our catechism classes to have a personal encounter with the living God. In case anybody's asking that question out there, I really appreciate it because it's fundamentally the parental and parish question of the 21st century. And I'm going to summarize it in one sentence from St. John Paul II. Quote, the word of God is the first source of all Christian spirituality. It gives rise to a personal relationship with the living God and with his saving and sanctifying will. I'm going to repeat that. Actually, that was two sentences. I cheated. The word of God is the first source of all Christian spirituality. It gives rise to a personal relationship with the living God and with his saving and sanctifying will. In other words, it's number one. It's top shelf. It's primary. It's first. It's foremost. Now, I've been a Catholic, uh, let's see here, it's been how many years? Um, Almost 30 years. So I think I've been around long enough to say that this isn't taking place. I'm sorry, but it isn't taking place. Uh, Prior to becoming a Catholic, I was an evangelical Protestant. And evangelical Protestants have a great focus on making the Word of God, the Scriptures, primary. By and large, I'm not saying there are glorious exceptions, and there's great changes right now in the works. But by and large, this is not the first source of Christian spirituality in catechesis and spiritual formation and in Catholic schools. Um, 
when I go speak at a Catholic school, my honorarium is that they have to bring their own Bible. And I've learned through my experience as a Protestant minister, I can tell in seconds when I ask somebody to turn to a portion of the Bible, a familiar portion of the Bible, I can tell within seconds whether or not they have any familiarity, not, not even talking about a deep attachment to God that comes about through an encounter with him in the scriptures. Now, I'm going to issue a caution and this is hard to hear this kind of thing, but I'm your friend. I'm wanting, I'm wanting young people to be faithful disciples of Jesus. So here's what I'm saying to Catholics hearing my voice. We are not anti-Protestants. What do you mean by that? Okay, Protestants, not today, but basically at its core, Protestantism is anti-Catholic. It's protesting the Catholic faith. Okay, Catholics aren't protesting. We have nobody we've broken off from, okay? But there is a tendency when a doctrine or practice is attacked or something is used in an attack against the Catholic faith, there unconsciously grows a compensating move that tends to make secondary things take the place of primary things. Now, it's no secret that Luther and the Reformers so-called reformers, use the Bible to attack the church. So Catholics are attempted to ignore the advice of St. John Paul II and focus on other things as primary. Remember, St. John Paul II said the word of God is the first source of all Christian spirituality. Now, I'm going to use an example from our friends in the Orthodox faith. Now, if you go into an Orthodox uh, church, I went to a, uh, a liturgy in an Orthodox church. It was a Russian Orthodox church, and it was absolutely beautiful. But there, I, I couldn't tell you how many icons were there. They had icons on the walls. They had icons on the beams. They had icons on the ceiling. They had icons on the doors. I mean, there were so many icons. And you know what? I loved it. I love icons. In fact, from my radio studio right now, I'm looking around my radio studio. It's loaded with icons. But part of that came about as a result. There is a big controversy that people wanted to get rid of icons in the church. And the Seventh Ecumenical Council was called to uh, establish the validity of icons, which were with the church from its earliest, earliest days. But as a result, particularly in the Orthodox Church, it's just kind of like icons perhaps take first place because that's what was attacked. All I'm saying to Catholics, don't let something that was used to attack the church cause it to fall into second place. When St. John Paul II, great catechist, says, no, put it in first place. And what do we want to do to keep our children faithful in the 21st century? Luke chapter 24, verse 32. After they went down the Emmaus Road and Jesus opened the scriptures to them, Here's what verse 32 says. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Heartburn. It went to the center of their life, their, their very personhood. And just as 
Pope Benedict said the organ for seeing God is the heart. The scriptures on the Emmaus Road touch their hearts and put them on fire with their faith. Here's from Benedict XVI. Luke's description, and he's talking about Luke 24, our passage. Luke's description of the disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus represents in some sense the model of a catechesis centered on the explanation of the scriptures. The model of catechesis, first place, not having a scripture verse or a reference or a paragraph in a religious textbook, but first place given to this in Catholic schools, Catholic catechesis, homeschooling, and family devotional life. If you put it first, you have the ingredient you need for the faith to survive in the 21st centuries. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of people listening to me are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, the disciples, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road were totally clueless. I'll describe them in a moment. But a lot of parents today says, you know, my kids seem to be clueless regarding the faith. And these are good parents who made sure their kids went to uh, a great uh, Catholic school. They had great catechism classes. They heard about the faith at home or in their home school. And they seem to be clueless kids, clueless students. I remember living in Florida, and I remember on at daily mass the morning after uh, the evening that the priests were interviewing uh, students for their confirmation. They had little one-on-one interviews, which are really good. This poor priest <laughs> next morning was just shaking their heads thinking, how could they be so clueless after so many years of catechesis? And we had clueless disciples on the Emmaus Road. Listen to Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with with one another about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now listen, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, walking by their side, and they were clueless to who was with them. It says in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You see what I'm talking about? There's a form of knowledge. I'm talking, I'm just terming it abstract religious knowledge that can have the Son of God literally risen from the dead, walking by your side, and not just for a moment, they're walking together on this journey, and their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus, prompting them a little bit, says, what's the conversation you're having? And they stood still. They thought, they thought, man, how can a person be so clueless? Then one of them said to Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus said, well, what things? 
They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who's a prophet mighty in word and deed, but now how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then they talk about the women who went to the tomb and they didn't find his body and came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And of course, they didn't believe him. And Jesus said, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, they didn't get it. They needed their hearts opened, and Jesus Christ, the greatest catechist, the greatest religious instructor instructor that ever walked this planet, used the scriptures to open their minds and their hearts to set them on fire, to see the truth, to breathe the truth, and to burn with love for the truth that had penetrated the very core of their beings. St. Paul uh, mentions the necessity of prayer. And I'm sure Jesus was praying for these two as he shared with them the scriptures that their minds and their hearts would be open to understand what was going on. And you know, you can struggle. Some of you are struggling right now. You have a teen at home who is clueless about the Catholic faith. You have a child at home, might say, I enjoys going to Mass, seems responsive to everything. Don't fall asleep at the switch, Mom and Dad. St. Paul said in Ephesians 1, he's talking to the Ephesians, I don't cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. In other words, this is his continual prayer for the Catholics in his early church in Ephesus. And what were his prayers? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Again, this is religious epistemology, and it's not just conveying religious facts. This isn't just looking up a religious fact in Wikipedia or Googling it, this is when the Holy Spirit brings it to life, and it says, this wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, I know one person who's currently walking the face of this earth who is actually more religiously clueless uh, to the Christian faith than these two disciples walking down the Emmaus Road. I mean, with Jesus right beside him. This person I know was more clueless than both of these disciples on the Emmaus Road put together. And the reason I know this is that I was that person. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents had me go to Sunday school and catechism classes. My grandfather was a minister. I mean, we weren't an overly religious family, but I mean, I basically had reached a point in life in my early 20s, young adulthood, that uh, I was clueless. And here I decided to search for religious truth I ended up in the Edgar Casey Institute, who was basically 
giving forth visions and prophecies through a demonic power. Uh, I was uh, practicing things like ESP and astral projection and all this other stuff. And I was trying to free my karma. And I was told by my personal guru that you have to read the Bible because you were born in your reincarnation cycle into a Christian family. You need to read that so that you can move on to higher forms of consciousness. So I went to the Casey Institute and I did my ohms. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Moody Blues, but it was a form of meditation. You go, ohm. And I went down the line of Bibles and chose a Bible based on good vibrations, according to the Beach Boys song. I mean, I was clueless, utterly clueless. And I was checking out at, again, this was a uh, thinly veneered Christian, uh, new age, demonic place. And this lady ringing me up, put my Bible in the bag and it was handing it to me, and she said some of the most important words that a human being has ever mentioned to me in my entire life. She said, I want you to pray before you read this. And I said, sure, really not meaning much. She grabbed the bag and pulled it back. And she said, I want you to promise that you're going to pray before you read this. Well, I did. And lo and behold, I really freed my karma that was my entrance by praying before reading that Bible that changed my life and all my Christian upbringing, my church Sunday school classes and catechism classes and Christian counselors in camp and everything else, um, that didn't hold. But when I was lost and clueless but prayed a simple prayer, you, just, you can just simply pray, Lord, open my eyes or Lord, open my eyes that I can understand your word, or Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And God will, and he will hit you at the core of your being. It's called heart, and that heart will give you a knowledge of him that sticks, that doesn't fade away, that burns with the fire of God's love. That's what we need. I like to close with what Pope Benedict XVI said. The Christian life is essentially marked by an encounter with Jesus Christ. I express my heartfelt hope for the flowering of a new season of greater love for the sacred scripture on the part of every member of the people of God, so that with their prayerful and faith-filled reading of the Bible will with time deepen their personal relation with Jesus. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 273 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.